0: What is good, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm Rob stats Carrera, and alongside me, as always, the one, the only, the proud owner of almost two liters of DeSarono, Levin Black.
1: <laughs> I see you've been reading my Twitter timeline. Uh, it's not quite two liters anymore after last night.
0: Aha. Uh-huh. You are like me. You are getting pounded by a blizzard right now. Am I right?
1: Hey, yep. Uh, eight inches and counting. I nice. wish my wife could say that, but.
0: You strike me as like snowblower guy. Like, are you out there with the beast, like polishing it up before the snowstorm gets here and then just going out and having a ball? No,
1: <laughs> I do have a really nice snowblower that was more random. I wasn't planning on getting a really nice one. I had a really nice one in North Dakota that's required in North Dakota. <laughs> I mean, you you not only get a lot of snow, but you have like 30 mile an hour wind as the normal amount. So you have crazy huge snowbanks. They get created, but here I wasn't planning on getting a big one, but then I bought a house and it has like a hundred foot plus long driveway and we thought we would get a cheap one. And then I was walking by Home Depot like three weeks ago and they had last year's model. They had two left and they had to get rid of them. They were like a little worse for the wear after sitting outside for a whole year, but it was, uh, let's see, 80% off. So I was like, I guess I'm getting a nice one. (laughs) (laughs) Very Nice.
0: So we're going to get into a bunch of different things tonight. Kyle Shanahan is sticking with Nick Mullins. That's where we're going to start. We're going to get into some of the roster construction. I want to get your take on Shanahan kind of being a little stingy when it comes to his assistant coaches and what he wants to allow them to do. And then we're also going to get into some possible Robert Sala replacements. As always, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. Shout out to Red Kribby who says, gave us a nice five-star rating, thank you very much, and said, nice job with the Bryant-Young interview. It sounded fun and honest, and they want more interviews to come.
1: Yeah, you hear that, former players? They want more interviews, so come (laughs) calling.
0: We are working on that, just so you know. All right, let's start with the quarterback news. Kyle Shanahan gave what I would describe as the most tepid endorsement of a quarterback I've ever heard He said, we'll start Nick and see how it goes. I mean, is there any more indicator that, one, he knows a quarterback change has to be made, and two, I don't know what happened, but he has zero confidence in C.J. Bethard?
1: Yeah, I mean, it tells you two things. One, he's not confident in Nick Mullins because it was a non-endorsement endorsement. And two, he's really not confident in C.J. Bethard because otherwise he would be starting. And he certainly certainly would have gone in last week if he had any confidence C.J. was better.
0: Yeah, the whole excuse that like C.J. wasn't warmed up, that didn't really make any sense. I think he's just done, man. Like he is done with 2020. You see him on the sidelines. I know people are criticizing his sideline reactions because he throws up his hands and people don't like that or whatever. But like I you have to think of it from his perspective. He's putting in what I have to imagine is like a 50, 60, 70 hour work week, doing breaking his back, right? Like trying to come up with these plays to get guys open, knowing how limited his roster is. And He comes up with them week after week after week when he's going against defenses that are paid to stop him and he's coming up with plays and guys are getting open and Nick
1: Mullins just cannot do it. How's he supposed to react? I I don't know what to tell him. I mean, fans are frustrated watching the games. He's human too. And he's the guy that's putting the team in position to succeed. And I mean, there's other people who aren't necessarily doing well, but in reality, a average quarterback this year, the Niners would be at the very least in the playoff hunt. They would be, what, at worst, probably what would be seven and six, eight and five, somewhere in that range, but just average quarterback play.
0: We say it every week, I feel like, but, you know, Akash said something yesterday that really crystallized things for me. And his point was that the quarterback is supposed to elevate the people around him. You're not supposed to be in a position with your quarterback where everybody's got to be healthy and everybody, nobody can miss a block. Everybody's got to do their job on every single play. And if all that goes right and the head coach calls a great play, well, then he can get the ball to the receivers and the offense can function. The quarterback is supposed to elevate that. The quarterback is supposed to make it irrelevant when the left tackles hurt or The running back doesn't chip a guy on his way out of the backfield. He's supposed to make up and compensate for all that. But the 49ers have been in this sort of weird place since Kyle took over where that hasn't been the case at all. And so they've sort of just gotten used to this new reality. And that's become the expectation when that's not really what it should be.
1: And I think that's why so many fans right now are clamoring for a true dual threat quarterback. They're looking for somebody... Not necessarily you know, a Lamar Jackson type, but somebody who can run if he needs to. Somebody more in the Deshaun Watson type of running, where he's athletic enough to make a play with his legs when the play breaks down and doesn't go according to plan. And that's the problem, like you're getting at. I mean, that, that's really the crux of the whole problem. Unless the play is perfect, they cannot produce because they don't have a quarterback capable of making something out of nothing. And that was, at least in 2019, what
0: we saw was Jimmy was functional enough to where if there was a holding call on a possession or a sack or a screenplay that doesn't work and you lose five yards, like the possession wasn't over. That wasn't the end of it. Like they still had a chance to get the ball and go down the field. But this year it's just been so bad. If there's anything behind schedule, they're done. They're punting. Like they cannot overcome that. And that's, it's just been so frustrating to watch because you're not going to have 10, 11, 12 straight plays where nobody gets a penalty and everybody's gaining significant yards. You just can't score enough points to win like that.
1: I mean, that's true. And I would even say, going back to last year, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo was a very good, you know, not great quarterback. He, he was an above average quarterback last year. But even then, he was somebody I think that when things went right, he was going to deliver consistently which is the issue this year is they're not necessarily delivering even when things are going right he wasn't necessarily a quarterback that ad-libbed and made something out of nothing occasionally you might see it and maybe he would have done that more this year because he last year he was coming back from the knee injury and that typically takes a year for a quarterback to fully trust it but then he got hurt again with another type of ankle that or injury that makes it hard to trust and make something out of nothing and move around with his ankle injury So maybe Jimmy's capable, but he hasn't had a chance to show it, which is the entire problem with Jimmy. I don't think too many people are in the Jimmy is not a good quarterback. It's that he can't stay healthy. I mean, he's not a great quarterback, so there's certainly room to improve there. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, you know, it's more that he can't stay healthy. I think if Jimmy was fully healthy all three years, nobody would be clamoring for a new quarterback.
0: And just the, the combination of those two things, right? We don't know if he's a great quarterback and he can't stay healthy. Like, that's that's the answer to the test. If you check both of those boxes, you can't come back next year. Not with a Super Bowl roster. And that's, at least I hope still, what the 49ers will have in 2021. Um, now, if we're going to move off the quarterback for a minute, let's go to the other most criticized position, at least on the offense for sure. And that has to be Mike McGlinchey. You know, I, I either host or produce every podcast that we do on this network, so I get to hear what everybody says. And Kyle and Akash spent a significant amount of time yesterday saying, Mike McGlinchey is good 90% of the time. And the, his bad plays are really bad, and they seem to come at really bad times, but he's actually good most of the time. You do not seem to fall into that category, Levin.
1: I'm more in the category of I don't give a shit if he's good most of the time. If the <laughs> times that he's not good, he destroys a drive. And that's really my problem with him. I, I got I got one real main point to make here. I mean, overall, PFF, which I'm going to say is not the end-all, be-all. I think it's a good general uh, guideline. It's not a, well, they have this guy ninth and this guy 10th, so this guy's better. It's more, are they good or decent or bad? They have him 25th overall for tackles, which you would think would say, well, then he's not that bad. Here's the problem I have. He is elevated because he is so good in the run game. He's their seventh overall tackle in the run game. He's 64th out of 85 in pass blocking. That's the bottom quarter. That means, you know, for every tackle that he's better at pass blocking than, there are three better than him. If that makes sense, <laughs> and here here here's the point I'm gonna make on this. when you are really bad at pass blocking and your couple bad plays are in pass protection instead of run blocking, that that's they're not they're not equal. I guess is the way I should put it. Run blocking and pass blocking are not equal because of what happens when you don't make your blocking either. If you miss a run block, okay, it went for a no gain. You still got second or third down to get the first down. And it's just a no game. If you have a bad pass block, it's going to be a sack, which is almost guaranteed drive killer. Even, I mean, it takes a truly elite quarterback to be able to consistently make up for sacks. And a lot of times the sack comes on third down anyway, so they don't get the chance. But then there's also, we know when there's pressures, even if they don't get the sack, there's a good chance or an elevated chance of an interception. So you got both of those huge negatives possible when you make a bad pass block they're not created equal and this is something that i actually criticize kyle in this regime on because i think they prioritize run blocking over pass blocking and i think that is a mistake i know kyle likes to run the problem is you can get by with average run blocking if you call the right plays if you don't if you have average pass blocking it doesn't matter how good of a play caller you are You're going to have multiple drives every single game that are destroyed because of the pass blocking. And that's my point. Glinchy's not a terrible tackle overall. He is tremendous in the run game. The problem is what he's bad at, he is so bad at that it, it destroys multiple drives almost every single game. And that's a deal breaker.
0: But would it destroy multiple drives every single game if the 49ers had a quarterback that was capable of rolling out, throwing on the run, or God forbid, making a pass rusher miss in the backfield? I mean, could you live with McGlinchy in that case if you had a quarterback that could sort of help him out?
1: Do you really want to live with somebody? I mean, that, that that's, that's not saying, well, we can keep this guy because, well we have somebody that's capable of making that guy miss. It's still a blown play. It's still a play where the quarterback is left trying to make something out of nothing, and there's still a good chance of a sack. There, I mean, even, even if he is a great runner, he can still get sacked, he can still fumble. He is still going to feel the pressure, which will affect his throws and his timing and maybe lead to an interception. Now, it might not be as bad of a negative because of the quarterback's able to overcome it, But I also got to say, the times that McGlinchey is bad, it's not, oh, he only got that guy for a second or two, or altered that guy's path, and the guy still ran around him. He just completely whiffs. I don't care (laughs) what quarterback it is, they're not overcoming when a guy gets a free shot. And that's my problem with McGlinchey, is when he misses, he misses horribly as if he didn't even play that play. You know what I mean? Like It's like he wasn't even there.
0: The most frustrating thing for me when it comes to him is that it seems like in crucial situations, whenever the defense really needs a stop, they just line up their best guy over McGlinchey and he blows it every single time. And I know part of it, like Akash was tweeting out some things where, Colton who who's next to him, was doing the wrong thing. And so, you know, McGlinchey they thought he was doing one thing and McKivitz did another. So that made McGlinchey look bad when really the guy that screwed up was McKivitz. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. Here's what I'm saying. When the other defense needs a big play, they get it by lining up somebody over McGlinchy. And that's the frustrating thing for me. Like, you can't have that. You can't have a guy who can get just absolutely disrespected and targeted like that every single time in a big third down at the end of a game in a two-minute trail that kind of thing
1: you know I will say one thing for McGlinchy, defend him in one regard a lot of the times I see people criticizing him you know obviously most of that's on Twitter but a lot of criticism is he needs to put on weight he needs to put on weight no his run blocking grade proves that he's not weak he has strength to be a good run blocker You got to be in this system agile, but you also have to have good power. You got to be able to literally move people out of the way. He clearly is good at that. It's not a power issue. The issue that I see with him is I don't think he's very good at technique. And I'm not talking about footwork. I'm talking about hands. Now this is getting a little more advanced and I'm certainly not a crazy expert when it comes to offensive line. But if you go back and you look at what Staley was saying about Boza as a rookie or what Williams was saying about Boza in training camp, they were saying he has incredibly advanced techniques and moves and it's very hard to get a hand on him because he's so good at the hand fighting. And that's what pass blocking is all about. Whoever wins the battle with the hands typically wins that play. And it's because if you can get your hands on the other guy, you're capable of affecting him and moving him where you want, whether that's offense, getting a defender to stop in his tracks or the defender to knock the offensive player out of the way. It's who can get their hands and get the leverage. And when I watch McGlinchey, the times that he fails horribly, it's not necessarily that he's not there or he's not in position. It's that he whiffs when he tries to get his hands on the defender. And I think the problem is McGlinchy is not capable of reacting quick enough. I think he has to have an educated guess at what the defender's going to do. I think he has to anticipate. And when the defender does something he's not expecting, he is horrible at reacting and countering. I don't think he's capable of countering. And to me, that's, that's mistakes that you expect a rookie to make. Maybe a second year to make. He's in his third year. You can't be making those mistakes. It's a technique issue that I just don't think he's going to get better at at this point. When he whiffs, it's because he does not literally does not get a hand on the defender. The defender does something, either swats his hands away in a way that he's not expecting, or goes to a spot that he wasn't expecting, and Mcglinchey whiffs. And I think that's what it is. It's not a physical thing. So I'll give him that. That it's not a physical. He's not a weak player. He's just incapable of doing one of the most important things in pass blocking.
0: But like the best left tackle in the league is. On the other side of the offensive line, wouldn't some of that have rubbed off? Like, hit him up. Hey, Trent, how the hell do I do this thing? Like, shouldn't that be happening?
1: It should, and that's the problem. That's why I don't think it's going to improve in year four. He had two years with Staley before that. I mean, he's had two of the best left tackles in the league to learn under, and he's not improving. Is McGlinchey better than he was as a rookie? Maybe slightly. I don't feel like McGlinchey's really improved a whole heck of a lot. He's he's just kind of the same guy where he blows a couple plays, but he's really good in the run game. Pass blocking is an issue.
0: Yeah, and remember, by the way, the beginning of the season, the two guys that this coaching staff was talking up every day when they met with the media, every single time it was driving me nuts. Who were they? Do you remember? Michael McGlinchey. And Solomon Thomas. Those were the two guys that were awesome. They were so much improved. Solomon Thomas was kicking butt. And Mike McGlinchey, Kyle, was saying how he's so much better. You could see it already. Well, he's not. I mean, if if you want to give him his mo- the most credit possible, you say he's as good as he was last year, and that's being pretty damn generous. So, you know, it's just another example of pay no attention to what these guys say. Pay attention to what actually happens and what they actually do.
1: So are you picking up McGlinchey's fifth-year option? No, I'm definitely not picking up a fifth-year option. And quite honestly, if there is a cheap replacement, I would go for it. If there's a veteran you can count on that for some reason doesn't get the big deal, I would spend a little bit of money, not crazy money. I'm not talking $10 million plus. The Niners can't afford that. Or if a tackle drops in the draft and he's sitting there in the second round, I would pull the trigger on that and tell Glinchey, you're moving inside, make it as a guard, or, you know, that's it in his fourth year. I I would not guarantee Glinchey's starting position next year, but I will say this for Solomon Thomas. The true verdict on whether or not the coaching staff loved Solomon Thomas will be whether or not Robert Sala brings him to wherever he goes.
0: Nobody wants Solomon Thomas. I'm sorry. He's a good dude. He's a really good person. He's been through a ton of adversity, God knows, but he's just not a good and he's certainly not worth where he was drafted. I mean, we we all know that no, we I mean need to rehash that. Yeah.
1: He'll he'll still get to play. I don't think he's just going to be his his career's not over. He'll get signed somewhere. It just won't be a lucrative yeah. contract at all. But if Salah doesn't think highly of him, Salah won't want him brought to wherever he's going.
0: We're going to get to Salah and him leaving and what some of the effects could that be a little bit later. But you mentioned possibly a replacement right tackle, maybe who somebody maybe somebody that doesn't get a big contract. Well, a lot of times the guy that's pretty good that doesn't get that big contract is because he's a guy with an injury history. Are you saying that you're willing to roll the dice on a guy with injury history to, to replace Mike McGlinchey next year?
1: No, I did do a mock draft that I posted on Twitter on the you know PFF mock draft. And all four of the top quarterbacks went in the top seven. And I had the Niners picking 14th in this mock draft. I end up taking a tackle in the second round because I traded down multiple times and picked up a bunch of second round picks. That's more what I think. If there's a, a good tackle who is likely to be starting quality sitting in the second round, I would probably pull that trigger, especially if the Niners don't get the quarterback they want and end up being a team looking to trade down and pick up extra picks.
0: Where did your quarterbacks go in that draft? All four went top seven. What if I told you that there has only been one time in the history of the NFL where four quarterbacks have gone in the
1: top 10? Well, talk to PFF because the computers drafted those teams.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was 2018. That was the Baker, Darnold, Rosen, and Josh Allen draft. That was the only time we've ever had four in the top 10. So, I mean, if the 49ers are at 12 right now, you know, you got to assume they're going to lose the Seattle game. So that's one more loss. They could easily lose all the rest of the games. That's going to get them in the top 10. So if they did want a quarterback, that, that guy's going to be there more than likely.
1: I do think that regardless of where they pick, unless they somehow win two out of three, which I don't think is going to happen, but unless they're picking somehow like 15th, 16th, even if they're at like twelve, thirteen, they will have the capability if they want to, to get one of the top quarterbacks. They're not going to get fields. They're not going to get uh, Lawrence. Yeah. They will have a chance to get either Wilson or Lance. I would say it's more likely. And you guys can go all crying on Twitter if you want, especially nine or Nate, but I don't <laughs> think it will be Wilson.
0: He will be crying.
1: I think, I think Wilson is going to be the guy cause he's going to wow in pro days. He's going to wow at the combine and there's now enough tape on him. I think, the, those three are all going to go top six. I think Lance is the one that's going to fall to potentially outside the top 10, probably get somewhere between nine and 15 range drafted because there's just not enough film on him. And he is coming from a, whatever you want to call it, FCS school,
0: Carson Wentz university. That's what I call it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know it as more than that. Cause it was North Dakota state, but of course.
0: Um, okay. One more thing I want to get to before the break. And that was, you are you have a bone to pick with John Lynch and Kyle Shannon in terms of the roster construction. I tried to lead you there very subtly earlier, but you missed it. So now I'm just gonna be blunt and say, what's your bone to pick with them?
1: I didn't miss it. I just said something else I wanted to say. <laughs> My bone to pick, it's both with them and Fans on Twitter saying, oh, we need to redo the strength and conditioning. We need a new team doctor, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? They did that two years ago for one. This regime has already changed out the strength and conditioning, overhauled it because of the injuries. The problem is all these injuries should not be unexpected. It is what is to be expected when you construct your roster in the manner it's been constructed. Now, we have said on this show that in the beginning, when your team is terrible, you just need talent. It doesn't matter if they're injury prone. You just need talent. So some of these were good moves. Obviously, some of these were great draft picks. But let me just give you a list of players who had known injury issues prior to the Niners acquiring them. In trade, they acquired Jimmy Garoppolo, shoulder issue prior to coming to the Niners. That hasn't been what got hurt, but he's had multi- he had one chance to start in the NFL, and he ended up only making half the starts because he got hurt. He's now made barely ha- more than half the starts with the Niners. Then you have D four known injury issues that have been as bad as they could be in that trade. Then free agents you have Quan Alexander, they paid him the highest, made him the highest paid linebacker in the league, coming off a knee injury, has injury issues. Richard Sherman, coming off multiple injuries, but the Achilles tear has had multiple injuries and missed multiple games. Yeah, the Sherman signings been pretty good for them, though. I know. I mean, overall... saying Some of these have been good. I'm not saying they're all bad, especially when you get to the draft picks. I'm just making okay. the point of here are the big signings, here are the big trades, draft picks. So Richard Sherman, Tevin Coleman, Jason Verrett, all guys who had injury issues, all guys who had in- injuries with the Niners. Then draft picks, Brandon Ayuk. He's a- he had injury issues in college. He was dinged up early this year, but overall he's been relatively healthy. Debo Samuel had a broken leg in college, was kind of dinged up right b- prior to the senior bowl, was able to get back for it. He's had multiple injury problems. Then you have Boza, Jalen Hurd, Contavious Street, Reuben Foster even, and George Kittle. All those people saw their draft stock fall, at least in part due to their injury past, and they've all had injuries while with the Niners. I mean, what do you expect? Every single really good player on this team has had injury issues other than, I guess, Trent Williams. If you want to count Trent Williams who they just acquired in trade. But everybody else had injury issues before the Niners acquired him. It's no surprise that the Niners have so many injuries. Except Fred Warner. That's a new one, though.
0: Well, I mean, poor Freddie. I know he's banged up now. But I mean, for the most part, he's been until this year, he was totally healthy. And he's obviously one of their really good players. But your point is well taken. I've heard Kyle talk about this. And what he says is if we were to avoid everybody with an injury history, we wouldn't have anybody on our team because guys get hurt playing football, which is true. But you have to be able to figure out and I don't know how you do it, but you have to find a way to figure out which guys have had bad luck and which guys just have chronic injuries. And like, for instance, a guy like Debo, who's had injuries, and then you look at how he plays. How do you look at that and say, this is a guy we think is going to stay healthy? Like just this, his style of play is going to lend itself to injury. And maybe that's where they have to start making the change and cross guys off the list, even if they really like them.
1: And some, some I mean, not all injuries are created equal. Some injuries don't have any data to back up that they're more likely to reoccur once they've had it once. But there are plenty of injuries out there that are scientifically proven by doctors through the data. You can look it up. There have been studies on it where it's scientifically proven that once you injure this part of your body, it is more likely to get re-injured. Things like rotator cuffs, things like a sprained ankle is always weakened you are always more likely to get another sprained ankle once you sprain your ankle. I know that one from experience and talking to doctors because I played soccer. So I had tons of sprained ankles because your plant foot takes so much weight on it constantly when you're kicking. But there are injuries out there that are more likely to reoccur. We all, I guarantee every single fan out there, Kyle Shanahan, whoever you want to say, when somebody, when you see somebody early in the season, has a tight hamstring, you're going, oh, great, this guy's going to have hamstring issues all year long. Or even in some cases, I found myself finding, thinking of a guy, well, that guy's going to have hamstring issues because he's had it two years in a row. He just has hamstrings that aren't good, which they can actually go in and look at that. And there there are, way, there are indicators for hamstrings. It's not a 100%. You know, a lot of things like that aren't 100%. But certain injuries do indicate a higher chance of re-injury.
0: Julio Jones has the perpetually bulky hamstring. The guy's had a hamstring strain for like four years in a row. He's questionable every week. Now, granted, he plays most of the time and he's awesome. But all right. So I totally agree with you on the injuries. I hope they change it up a little bit and, you know, start getting a little more choosy when it comes to that. So we could get out of this just ridiculousness that we're in. Everybody just expects everybody to be healthy next year, but we were banged up last year too, by the way. Like people, I don't know if people forget that, but they had a ton of injuries last year. It's not luck after a point. And there's a reason that these things happen and hopefully they're going to address that reason going forward. Let's take a break now because when we come back, I want to get to Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala and how they're sort of preparing for Sala's departure. And also the replacements for Robert Sala. Kyle Posey and Akash talked about it yesterday. There was an article on NinersNation.com. I want to run some names by you, Levin, and see what you think, even though I'll probably disagree with it. Back here on the Gold Standard Podcast. All right, Levin. I saw this from Matt Barrows, and I think Kyle addressed it yesterday. Barrows had it that he and Sala have been essentially doing some horse trading and some arguing, not arguing, discussing of the coaches that Salah plans to take with him when he leaves for whatever head coaching job he's going to get Detroit Houston whatever it may be the thought is that it's either going to be Mike McDaniel or Mike LaFleur and Kyle is historically very stingy with his head coaches you know some guys like Andy Reid lets his head coaches go. He's very big on getting his guys opportunities elsewhere in the league. Kyle definitely hasn't been so far. He likes to keep his guys. The rule is, now it's a new rule, head coaches cannot block guys from leaving if they're going to get a play-calling coordinator job. Um, do you think that, one, Kyle's going to create some bad blood on his staff if he starts blocking people? And, two, do you think whoever Salah takes – will really hurt the 49ers or affect them a lot in 2021?
1: No, on both accords, I guess. Look, they're getting an opportunity. Kyle is somebody that I think is kind of like the hot young coach that a lot of people want to coach with so they can learn from him. So I don't think it's really going to hurt in that regard. And I also think that there's – A little bit of an understanding. They know it's a business, and losing your assistant coaches hurts a team. And so they don't really blame him. If it's not going to be a true promotion to calling plays, why would you let a guy go if he's doing a good job for you? And as far as affecting the Niners, I don't really think so, especially on the offensive side, because we all know Kyle is the offensive side. Certainly, there are guys that will help him, assist him, but it's really more so just kind of filling in the gaps of what Kyle Shanahan does. Defensively, there could be some hurt there, but let's be honest, whoever comes in as the defensive coordinator is going to have a preference to bring in his guys anyways. The only one that I could see is Chris Korak. If if he's lost, I think he's done a great job with this wide nine. He is the know-it-all when it comes to the wide nine. If he leaves, that would be a big loss. That's the only one that I would really see as something that I don't, Want to see happen?
0: I think that I'm a little worried when it comes to the offense. And I know it's Kyle's system, but I also think that Kyle has a lot of hats, right? He's the head coach, he's kind of the offensive coordinator. He won't admit it, but I think he's very much the GM. Like he's got a lot of jobs and a lot of things to do. And I think he leans on LaFleur and McDaniel a lot more than we give him credit for. Like there's a reason he blocked LaFleur from going to the Packers and joining his brother last year. So, uh, you know, the more jobs you have, the harder it is to be really good at anyone and the harder it is to succeed. So if one of those guys leaves, you know, I wonder if the offense will take a little step backward if Shanahan is wearing as many hats as he is this year.
1: Eh, I mean, I don't think they do anything that, that you couldn't find somebody else to come in and help. Now, they might be a little different. They might not be. I think he has young guys for a reason. He wants people that think outside the box, people that think more new age than old age, if you want to call it that. But there are plenty of young people out there that could fit that mold. And they're not actually calling the plays, which is the hardest part, in my opinion, of it. A lot of the other stuff is research and things like that in order to come up with the plays. But I will say this. I do think the Kyle probably has a pretty abrasive mm-hmm. attitude. <laughs> if you want to put it that way, he's very demanding, I think. I think he has I think he's somebody that has no patience whatsoever for anything not going the way he thinks it should. And we see that on the sidelines and I think he's that probably that way with his, his assistant coaches as well. So there could be a case of if he doesn't get the right guy who's able to deal with that, creating kind of a, some animosity amongst the coaching staff but I really don't think that's a big concern. Okay.
0: The list from Niners Nation is out of some potential defensive coordinator replacements because I think at this point it's pretty safe to say that Robert Saul is going to be coaching somewhere next year and it ain't going to be San Francisco. So uh, do you want me to give you the list all at once or do you want me to go through one by one and you give me a yay or nay?
1: I'll say one by one. Okay.
0: Dan Quinn, first option.
1: Shanahan's former boss. I would be okay with that. I think he's one of the most obvious choices, and I think he's also one of the most qualified choices.
0: Don't you think it would be weird, though, that Quinn would then have to report to Kyle after being Kyle's boss in Atlanta?
1: Do you know how many former head coaches are out there as assistants? Yeah, but serving to people that used to be assistants for them? If anything, I think that leads credence to having your defensive coordinator coming in right away and having your team buy in hey, this is a guy that our head coach was willing to coach under, so clearly he thinks he knows what he's doing. Like, what if you were my boss? I can't work under those conditions. <laughs> Who says I would let you be employed?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was pretty good, I'm not going to lie. Uh, option number two,
1: former Jags coach Gus Bradley. Now, that's another one I wouldn't be opposed to. I do think I, I wouldn't be as high on him as Dan Quinn put it that way. I I don't, I'm not as sold on him being a really good coach. I also, I will say I I like the Dan Quinn and Kyle Shanahan have previous history.
0: This one is my favorite of the bunch. And I would be writing letters to Santa to make it happen.
1: Wade Phillips. Now that's one that I would definitely be on board for, even though I think it would probably be a more short-term solution because Wade Phillips isn't going to be coaching very long. If he decides to coach, but I think he would do wonders in with the defensive talent that's here, assuming some cornerbacks come back. <laughs> but with this, right, defense, that. <laughs> with this defensive line and these linebackers, Wade Phillips would be a great fit. And I do think getting back to what you were saying about all the hats that Kyle wears, it's one of the reasons why I want a really experienced, even prefer a former head coach cuz then they kind of know what Kyle's going through but a really experience, experienced defensive coach so that Kyle can kind of just tell him you handle the defense I'll handle the offense and not have to have his hands on the defense
0: and, and Wade I, is used to that cuz that's how it was in LA with McVay
1: right and I do have concerns with if they go with another unproven there being something that kind of zaps Kyle away from the offense and the offense takes a hit just because Kyle's having to help with the defense stuff.
0: There's a name like that on this list that we'll get to. Uh, But the other sort of pipe dream that I would love to see, and I think a lot of 49er fans would love to see, is Vic Fangio.
1: Yeah, that that one, zero chance. I I would put that at zero chance because his scheme does not fit this roster whatsoever. Really, you can come down to just one single player. Vic Fangio runs the 3-4. If you're running the 3-4, Eric Armstead has to be a D.E., And Kinlaw probably has to be a DE because neither one of them are defensive tackles. And that means Boza becomes a stand-up outside linebacker. That's not him. You're taking your best defensive player and making him play out of position. It doesn't make sense. Neither of those three are capable of playing linebacker. And one of them would have to in a 3-4.
0: But, I mean, you don't, Vic Fangio's been around forever. You don't think he could figure out a system? Like, you don't think he would change his system at all?
1: Why the heck would he want to? He knows his system. I think coaches prefer to run their system. He's not going to come in, especially at his age, and go, you know what? I'm going to try to run a 4-3, even though I haven't been running it. I don't know if he ever has in the past. I just know for the last 10, 15 years, he hasn't. All right, fine, you big poo
0: -poo pooer Fine. Uh, Another name on the list, this is a guy on the coaching staff, would be a new guy, and that's D'Amico Ryans. He's never been a defensive coordinator. He's on the staff now. Obviously, he knows Salah's system. He's familiar with it, so that would be a you know obviously pretty easy transition for the team. What do you think of D'Amico Ryan's defensive coordinator?
1: I think he if the, if you're going to go with an unproven guy, he's about the only one that I would be able to stomach. Anybody else, I would probably be posting on Twitter like this is a bad choice because <laughs> because of all the fears I have that I've already gone through. D'Amico Ryan's, he I mean he he's kind of this up and coming wonder kid of a coordinator you know former linebacker with houston rookie of the year actually if i remember correctly and pretty much ever since he became a coach people have been saying oh he's got a bright future because and that that's fellow coaches saying that and players that have played under him that he's so smart i will say that solid needs a defensive coordinator where he's going it would make sense if he takes to ryans with him mm-hmm.
0: That's that's fair. You know, I hadn't thought of that. That's definitely possible. You're right. He's going to have to grab somebody. Um, I think if I had to choose all those, Wade is my number one. I don't really love any of the other options. I guess D'Amico Ryan's too. just hoping, like, just keep it going. Like, just keep it. If you don't know how to do anything, just imitate what the last guy did, and hopefully that'll be good enough given the talent that they already have on defense. Uh, but I think that that's an aspect of the job that's hugely important. You know, and I said this in the Stats and Eggs podcast yesterday morning, Harbaugh never had to do that. He got really lucky in a lot of ways. Nobody took Vic Fangio from him and nobody took Greg Roman. He had the same offensive and defensive coordinator for his entire tenure, which I think was massive for him and I think was massively important for the team, especially on offense, because Alex Smith had had so many different coordinators through the years.
1: That's true in a certain respect. Uh, I think I I was surprised at the time that Vic Fangio didn't get a job when he was interviewed while he was under Harbaugh. Greg Roman, not so much. He kind of he runs. I wouldn't call it simplistic, but it's not a very deep offense. And I mean Lamar Jackson pretty much said that this year. But it's also an offense that really only fits when you have a running back or a quarterback who's capable of running. So it's hard to go out there and want to hire him as a head coach unless you some by some miracle, have a good quarterback who can also run. I mean, if you have that, you probably don't have a head coaching opening. So,
0: And this is the last point I want to make before we wrap it up for today. This season has obviously not been very fun. We all know that the last three games, there's not that much to watch for. But I think we are three weeks, more than three weeks, I guess, because there's playoffs. But we are just a few weeks away. It's going to get really fun. This offseason, I think this is going to be an offseason where I'm going to be texting you and Akash and Kyle Posey like, hey, this crazy thing just happened. Can you get in front of a microphone? We got to record a pod. Like, I think there's going to be with so many changes on the defense and probably defensive coordinator and starting quarterback, you would think, if not all the quarterbacks on the roster. I think that there is going to be some crazy stuff happening with the 49ers. So I know these last three weeks suck, for lack of a better term. But once you get through those, I really feel like the hope comes back, right? We don't have hope anymore. The playoffs are out of reach. That's (laughs) that's not happening. Once that's over, it's like, holy crap, we can be good again.
1: Yeah, they kind of check every box. They they need a defensive coordinator, so they're going to have coaching search. They need to make some big-time roster decisions to free up cap space, which are almost definitely going to be made, you know, Richburg, guys like that d ford (laughs) um so you got who are they going to get rid of then they have a ton of free agents i can't remember if they they lead the league in pending free agents if they don't they're really close i think they do 41 yeah so they have literally half their roster as pending free agent and then on top of that you have the quarterback search and then you always have the nfl draft i mean they literally check every box and by the way if they make those roster moves that i'm expecting they're going to be in the top 10 for cap space, which means they're going to be in play for pretty much every free agent out there.
0: In a year where guys are going to be cut, like you've pointed out in earlier shows, because everyone's trying to get under the low cap, which is going down, of course, because of COVID. By the way, one of those decisions is Robbie Gold. They have to decide before the end of this regular season whether or not they're going to pick up the option in Robbie Gold's contract, which would keep him around for another two years. Now, he's been good, But he's also the second-highest-paid kicker in the league. So if you are John Lynch right now, Levin, and the clock's ticking and Robbie Gold's agent calls up and says, hey, man, are you keeping my guy or are we going to Chicago? What are you telling him?
1: Yes. You don't mess with (laughs) kicking. If you got a good kicker, you don't mess with it. Look what happened with the last team gold played for they got rid of gold they didn't want to pay him the Niners decided to pay him and the Bears lost in the playoffs because of it kicking is way too important and way too hard to find a true good one out there now I will say in recent years just like literally like the last five years it seems like there's kind of been this glut of really good kickers coming out but that's not the case it's still not a guarantee I mean Daniel Carlson he plays for the Raiders now he's having a good year he was drafted and brought in by the Minnesota Vikings and bombed out, couldn't handle the pressure and had to get released because he was so bad. And then he kind of collected himself. It's not a position you want to be taking a risk on because look, you might not like kickers. You might not think they're really football players, whatever you fall in line is there's no arguing that kickers are one of the most important positions because guess who ends up leading your team every single year in the point scored? If you have a bad kicker, he literally can make or break games because kicking, get, making the field goals is so important. It's direct points. Nobody no, else has look, that. No, no other position. Last
0: week, the Vikings, Dan Bailey, they lost by nine points. He missed three field goals and an extra point. That's 10 points right there. Uh, kickers are like lawyers. Everybody hates them until you need them. And then you want the best one ever. So I agree. Even though he's expensive, I would keep him around. He's missed two kicks this year. One was from 50 yards, and the other was from 55. Like, I'll take that guy on my team anytime. So hopefully they do that, but that's going to be one decision that we're going to know pretty soon here. Like you said, Levin, the first of many. That's going to do it for this edition of the Gold Standard Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. We love your reviews. Please keep leaving them. We will read them on the show happily. I don't know what you're rooting for this week in terms of the game, but I hope whatever you're rooting for, you get it. How's that? Enjoy it, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week.